see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the word of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. So it seems as though Jesus' teachings were too hard for some. And Jesus is losing disciples faster than he's gaining them here today. That's a little different than we're used to hearing of those who gather around Jesus. It's usually kind of the opposite story. And once more, it seems to bother Jesus less than we'd expect. At least not in the way we would expect. Now, we've been engaged in this same conversation for three Sundays in a row, and it's kind of cycled through a lot of conversation here. Things have gotten heated. They continue to talk about Jesus as the bread of life, what it means to abide in God and in Christ and together. And he makes it clear that God sent me to you to bring this good news, to bring eternal life. Now, the first week, if you recall, people grumbled. I don't know about this. Second week, second part of the story, they were about to come to blows. <laughs> they were mad at each other. All right, Jesus. And today we see folks just throw their hands up and give up. All right, Jesus, this is just too hard. Can't accept this. And they walk away. Surely, though, Jesus is worried. Surely he's concerned. And, and surely he's worried about losing this many disciples all at once. This must have felt like a failure, right? Maybe Jesus ought to chase them down. Let them know, okay, I'll make it a little bit easier for you so you can stay. What if he asked them to, less of them so that they would feel more comfortable remaining one of his disciples? Not so here. Jesus turns to the disciples and says to them, perhaps expecting them to leave, do you wish to go away too? It seems as Jesus was willing to allow everyone to walk away, leaving him to himself. The story comes to that, right? And he alludes to it. He already knew folks didn't believe and he already knew who was going to betray him. The day was coming that he would stand on his own. Seems though Jesus was not willing to minimize expectations so as to keep as many followers as possible. Let's be clear, that didn't mean they gave up on religion or God altogether. They just gave up on thinking Jesus was the Savior, that he was one worth following. There were many options those days to find a community that, that suited them better. Most of those who had been following Jesus were already from different places and different groups. For, for example, you had the Pharisees. 
Now, if, if following rules is your thing and, and, and knowing the Mosaic laws and then doing even more than what they ask of you to, to be faithful, there you go. It's a, good, it's a good group of folks to be around. But then you had the Essenes, and these are probably my favorite folks. You see, the Essenes lived out in the wilderness near the Dead Seas. They're the ones who gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they focused on rituals of baptism, and, and John the Baptist was likely from this community. He dressed unlike town folks. He, he ate these wild foods, and, and he talked about baptism a whole lot. Or maybe the Sadducees was another option for folks. These were the political and the, the religious elite. They held the offices in Jerusalem and then when Jerusalem fell and those offices were no longer there, the Sadducees completely went away and no longer existed. Or you had the zealots. Paul was likely a zealot. He was likely a zealot in the, in the name of God and attacking those brutally that followed Jesus before he himself became a disciple. And there's one more group, too, that most respectable people of the day would never be a part of and especially all I've mentioned so far, and that was the Samaritans. See, they had a different idea about God and, and where, the, where the temple needed to be and, and who God was. And, but Jesus seemed to like them a lot, right? He seemed to think there was something about this group that they understood what it meant to serve people. All this to say that it wasn't hard to find an alternative to Jesus if you find something more palatable to your understanding and liking. And Jesus' message all throughout has been like a, a tennis match. It's been back and forth, and I'm the bread of life, and no, you're not, and yes, you are, no, no. And finally, they just throw their hands up and they leave. The volley's over today. It ends. This whole diatribe. It's about whether or not those disciples are willing to accept who it was that stood before them. Yes, we have the 12. They were still there after everyone left, but... As we've already alluded to, Jesus knew they too would walk away. How long these followers had been with him, we don't know. But as things unfold, more and more, Jesus is not who they expected. Many probably went back to where they came from, and they all learned that following Jesus is harder than they expect. They had believed up until now, but Jesus was not who they thought after all. Now, it's easy for you and me to read this story and, and, and bemoan these folks who walk away. Who wouldn't want to abide with Christ? Who wouldn't want that? I mean, life and, and, and spirit and uh, partaking in Jesus' life and being together united that way. How do you walk away from that? But are we always so different? Isn't it sometimes difficult for you and me to accept spirit and life? Don't we have the ability to find communities or churches or otherwise who we find more palatable? It's often that we follow Jesus, only to learn that there are places in his teachings that, we are, that, that, that are more than we bargain for. And when this happens, our beliefs can become burdens. And we must ask at times, shall I keep following we often have two choices, bail or abide, as one person said. Sometimes it is that choice that we have to come to. And we might be tempted to make heroes of these 12, but they walk away and so do we at times. And what I mean by that is 
They, yes, they hang in there longer than most. But when we find ourselves serving in soup kitchens, our, our food pantries, our clothes closets, our, our mission trips, we, have, we are abiding, aren't we? But we bail if we refuse to love those who are addicted or those who are incarcerated. We follow Jesus by loving some. But we bail when we choose not to love others. We follow Jesus by taking part in Sunday school and and finding whatever we can to worship these days, right? But we bail when those lessons prove too hard to live out in life. We follow Jesus with generosity and giving, but we bail when we begin to think that everything else we have is actually ours and, and not God's. Every avenue that we take following Jesus can eventually bring us to that point to say, these teachings are difficult. Who who can accept these? The Apostle Paul faced great opposition. His life was at risk and he wondered, should I keep doing this? He, He almost bailed on it. But he said, I keep teaching fearlessly, making known the mystery of the Gospels. But he knew that he must have the armor of God to accomplish that task. But what is it for you and me? What is it that we feel we're being asked by God or Christ are these teachings that's difficult and we wonder, can we really accept that? Whatever that may be for you, do write it down in your memory for a moment or maybe the rest of this week and maybe write it in the palm of your hand. And when it comes for the opportunity that you might want to bail, ask God to help you to abide. When you feel that desire to lash out or or be angry with someone, choose to love them in any way. When you feel pressured to do things that go against your values or your morals, God has taught you, choose to stay the course. When you're met with violence or anger, choose peace. I love Sister Joan Chittister. Um, and she, she really is a wonderful voice of understanding what it means to abide. And I listened to an old recording of her speak this week and about the wisdom of abiding and, and how hope and despair are part of that. And she reminded me that despair and hope are partners. They live together. And what she means by that is, is both. We often think of, of hope as hoping and trusting that better days are coming and despair is, is not thinking they'll ever come. But that's not true, really. Both desire for better days. She reminds us that it's our choice of which of these we will choose, hope or despair, and that whatever we choose will shape our minds, they'll shape our life, they will shape our living. When we choose to despair, when our only choice is to give up on Christ and find a way of our own or, or even make a God of our own, To choose hope says, Lord, I can't see exactly where this is going, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do this thing. And believing that the life that Christ offers us is coming. Hope requires that we wrestle with all things. And it is the hope within our struggles that shapes us and transforms us. This moment that we are in now in our world, a long moment, but the hard realities that we see in many other ways in the world, it will shape us. We will be changed by all of this. But the deciding factor on how that is, is whether or not we choose hope 
in the struggle. I took some time yesterday, as I've alluded to, uh, these hard teachings of Jesus and all of them being hard. So I started to list a lot of the teachings that I found. Yeah, those are hard lessons. Uh, I thought of the teaching where Jesus said, to, before you do anything to harm one of my children, <laughs> you'd be better off putting a millstone around your neck and going swimming. <laughs> it's hard. Just look at our world, what it means. to. We're struggling with that, right? One teaching says that we should respond to those who strike us on one cheek by giving them the other one. That's a hard lesson. And then he says, if someone takes the, the coat off your back, give them your shirt too. That's not easy to do. He tells us that before you try to take the speck out of someone else's eye, get the log out of your own. In other words, it's easy to see the faults of others. The hard work is seeing your own faults. So I stopped making my list. Because what I came to realize is they're all hard. <laughs> they're all difficult at some point. Yes, this includes struggling to understand that Jesus is God among us. That's a hard lesson. But eventually, every teaching of Jesus, lived out and carried out, can and will prove difficult at some point. So today we're asking if we're going to be like the 12 who stay, who stay the course. Are we going to be those who realize, yes, these are hard teachings, but we're going to follow. We're going to keep staying in love with God. We're going to love ourselves. We're going to love our neighbors. We're going to do good. We're going to do no harm. We're going to stay in love with God. These are the steps, the basic steps that we must take every part of this journey together. The only easy thing that we can ever do is stop. The only easy thing we can ever do is walk away. That's easy. What the disciples teach us today is that there really is no better option than Christ, even as hard as it can be. They're teaching us that this is what hope looks like. See, they're choosing hope in these hard lessons. The other folks chose despair. Kim and I this week discovered that our uh, two trees in our front yard are going to have to be cut down. Uh, now, I have to tell you, I'm not crazy about them. They're, they're bad for pears, and those things aren't really great for the environment, so I'm not totally heartbroken by it, but... And except for the fact that those two trees house now about five or six hummingbirds. And so we like to sit on our porch at the end of the day and early in the morning is the best time. And I've even gotten where I can hold the feeder and the darn things will eat out of my hand. <laughs> and so I get to feel the wings, the wind of the wings, and, and, and they'll look at me right in the face and then fly off. And this happens every day now. I can't wait to get to my porch and do this. But the problem is that if we don't cut those trees down, they're going to fall on the house, the car, or, or one of us. We do not want to cut those things down, but we have to. It's just the right thing to do. We have to choose the hard and, and disappointing thing. So I've already been thinking, though, about what tree I want to plant instead. I want to plant the smallest sapling oak tree I can find, right between where they are now. Why that? Well, if you know anything about trees, oaks take a long time to grow. And I know that if I plant this sapling of an oak, there will be no squirrels nesting in it. The hummingbirds will not find a home in it. I'll never enjoy the shade of an oak tree in that yard if I plant it as a sapling. But I want to plant it because one day someone will enjoy it. 
Martin Luther King once said that if he knew the world was going to fall apart tomorrow, he'd still plant a tree today. And the point of that hymn is to say everything that we do now, the hard work that we do now is for those who come after us. And just like someone was sitting under the oak that my family hopes to plant, the world will one day live under the shade of the lives that we live. Some of the struggles we face today may be with us because we didn't do such planning. But the comfort and the goodness that we know today, most all of it came from those who left it to us to care for. So I want to suggest what it looks like to abide today. I want to finish by one more conversation I had with a group of folks this week. And we talked about the story of Moses and Israel and, and, and our Old Testament scripture referred to this as well, those 40 years between Egypt and, and arriving to the promised land. And we like to say that that part of the story is, is like us. We're on that long journey towards this promised land. And I do believe that we are. And the reason that that's a good story is they knew where they were headed. They knew how things were going to go. And on their best days, at least, Israel did. But as we talked in our our group together, we said, you know, I'm not so sure that story works for us. It it's, can feel some days like we're fleeing Egypt and the soldiers are on our heels. But that doesn't work either. And someone said, you know, maybe it's the folks who lived in exile in Israel. The folks who didn't know for certain what the future was bringing. And what do the scriptures tell us those folks did? Well, they tell us that they stayed with God. They made loving homes. They told the stories of God to the children. They lived in peace. They found safe places to live and to be. And they filled their lamps with oil as a reminder of God's eternal presence. Folks, if there's anything going on in your life, if there's any realities in the life and living that we face together, and if it feels like they're bearing down, if it feels like a struggle, if the future doesn't seem clear, know that that struggle is not a sign of lack of faith. It's only a sign you long for better days. And in your longing for better days, may it be hope. Keep moving forward. Let this struggle shape you and me for the better. But above all, the way forward means that we follow the teachings of Jesus Christ every step of the way. And we remain with him. Why? Because really he's the only choice we have. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our closing hymn this